0: Welcome to Creator Talks, your source for interviews with writers and artists. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. There's a comic out in the marketplace called Helicious. It's about Cherry, the devil's prankster granddaughter, and she's just trying to have fun and make new friends in hell. Her playmates, though, end up digested or destroyed, and then she sets her eye upon rock star and goth icon Briggy Bunday. He'd make a good playmate. The only thing is, he's not dead yet. The book is written by A.C. Medina and Mina Elwell, Art by Kit Wallace, color by Geo Butler, and letters by Micah Meyer, with the editorial guidance of Trevor Richardson. Mina and AC, Alan Christopher, have been on the show before, and I catch up with Mina and AC to find out what's been going on since we last chatted, and I'm also joined by the editor Trevor Richardson. So we all discuss the book, how it came into being, and how they all met. Mina and AC have both answered the questions I ask all my guests. The fun questions, including if you were an action figure, what would be your accessories? The one that AC came up with when he was on my show. Well now, Trevor has an opportunity to answer those questions. We talk about the Marx Brothers, Moms, and manbags Three things that couldn't be more different and yet they all came up in conversation. And for me, that's one of the best things about hosting this podcast. So let's get started. Welcome back to the show, Mina Elwell and AC, Alan Christopher Medina, and for the first time editor at Starburn Industries, Trevor Richardson. Here now on Creator Talks. Mina, welcome back to Creator Talks. Thank you. Alan, welcome back.
1: Hey, how's
2: it going?
0: Trevor, welcome for the first time being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mina, you said you were shooting something and it was delayed due to the Emmys. Now, what were you shooting? You had my interest peaked right there.
1: Oh, yeah. I've been working on At Home with Amy Sedaris. We have season two up right now.
0: Wow. Tell me about it. I did not know that.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I've been Amy's assistant for this season. Uh, you can find them on True TV.
0: Anything else since we last spoke?
1: We're working on Delicious right now, which is pretty exciting. We've got some good stuff going on. And then the Infernoct trade, and I know I've been on talking about Infernoct before, will be out in October.
0: Perfect timing for Halloween.
1: Yeah, that's the plan.
0: Alan, how about you? Anything uh, up lately since we last spoke?
2: I've been working with Delicious and working with uh, Trevor. As far as my own project, the Elasticator trade is finally happening. It's actually available for pre-orders right now, I think. I have Monarchs Issue 1 due out next month. It's been an interesting year. A lot of learning.
0: The last time we spoke, you did allude to the fact that you were working on a new comic under a new imprint. And now, of course, we're here to talk about it. Helicious under Starburn Industries. When, and more importantly, how... Did you cook up the idea, the two of you, for Halicious?
1: Uh, Well, the first version of Halicious was actually my thesis project at the School of Visual Arts when I was still in college. Um, And I've been taking, you know, a lot of hell-lit classes there because that's what everyone takes in college uh, if you're at art school. But then Alan and I have been coming up with concepts and it metamorphosed into something else. Do you remember any of the things that we changed when we started working on it together?
2: It, It was really focused on Cherry for the most part. Uh, when it started out, like, it was um, it was this, on her adventures as a Grim Reaper in hell. We uh, we started adding more elements in because it was written first for TV. Like, the humor never really changed, you know. So it was always supposed to be delicious how we have it now. But we just added more elements to it. Like, for instance, the family aspect and uh, Briggy.
1: That's right. Yeah, Briggy was a later edition, which is funny because he's such a big part of it.
0: Is he based on anyone, any particular rock star?
1: He's kind of an amalgam of things, but I'm a big fan of Voltaire. Marilyn Manson's sort of the most mainstream, like, goth shock rocker.
0: This is really part of his act, but Cherry's really into this guy because she thinks he's all about hell and the demons and all that stuff, so that's why she's so interested in him. Kind of reminds me of Ozzy, the Prince of Darkness, and all of his stuff. And then <laughs> you see him on TV, and he's like, oh, Sean's a regular guy, but that's his shtick, and that's... um. That's why she was so interested in him and acquiring him.
2: And it's fun because that's a big part of Briggy's character is what you see from the outside, but what really is, you know, is in the inside. And it's especially interesting for, you know, him being in hell. Uh, without giving too much. It's fun to see how Briggy from the initial landing in hell is to how he is in um, the current issues, which I believe issue three came out a couple of weeks ago. And it's fun seeing how much he changes and how we still kind of peel back the real Briggy. Like, I guess that presentation, the theatrics of his um, rock star, I think that's something Briggy actually really loves. That part isn't so much a show. I think he loves to put on the show. It's more of the rock star lifestyle, I guess. That's the show that Briggy puts on.
1: Yeah, I think he's attracted to that goth stuff because he's an outsider. And I think Cherry is attracted to it because... That's not an outsider thing to be into in hell. So she thinks that he's going to love it because he likes death and torture when he's into it because he's like, you know, oh, I don't get along with people. It's a fun
0: book. And who would you say it's for? Nick And I'm reading this thing. I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's all ages.
3: We've had interesting conversations at Starburns about this. Like, are we fooling ourselves trying to keep this an all ages book? Because it is full blooded cuts in places and things like that. Um, But then there's other things that, you know, that we've stepped around, you know, you don't see a lot of like, I don't know, F-bombs or whatever throughout the book. I would say we've tried to cast as wide of a net as possible, but at the same time, I'd be pretty surprised if there were like seven or eight year olds.
1: I have met some.
3: That's extremely cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I think is, they're you know, I
1: think they're extremely cool.
3: It's an interesting age in comics. I'll just say this because I, I'm actually a little reluctant to rate it because I don't think it's a mature book, but I also don't think it's a kid's book. I will say that it's an interesting time in comics because of things that have happened, like maybe the easiest example is Deadpool. Deadpool is like, you know, the first mainstream R-rated superhero comic, but kids are dressing up as Deadpool at every con that I've gone to, you know. So I think it's kind of falling back into the purview of the parents of just, am I cool with this? Am I cool with my kid reading this? Fine. And then I think as a creator or a publisher, it's kind of more on us to just make what we like and let parents and readers and kids and whatever sort it out internally. As far as who it's for, I think it's just for people that Cherry resonates with. Do we actually say how old Cherry is, Mina?
1: People have referred to her as Seven. That's
3: what and I And people, I'm a...
1: yeah, and she's often like, what?
3: Hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's
1: like, I don't know. But I think people have called her Seven.
3: So there's something there that, would have, that appeals to a younger reader for sure. And Cherry's cute and hilarious, and she's also sort of empowered in a cool way. You know, she's the devil's granddaughter, so she has a position of importance. I think one of my favorite things about her is, it's not even something she takes for granted. It's even less than that. It's just like, yeah, that's not a big deal. He's just my grandpa. <laughs> um, and and I, I find moments like that to be maybe even more, um, I don't know, I guess endearing in a lot of ways than just, uh, hey, how cool is my world and how fun is this and look how rad everything is. It's just a childlike innocence of you're freaking out, but he's just my like, grandpa, dude. What?
0: <laughs> well, it is fun and it is funny and it is like cartoony art. So as far as gore goes, we're not talking walking dead gore, you know. This isn't something that's gonna give children nightmares if they read it. Good advice to have parents read, decide, but it's not something like I'm reading it, I'm not like, Oh my god, that's so gross. Like it's like gross humor.
3: Right, right.
1: My dream would yeah, be to have I mean, parents read this with their kid. Yeah, that's ego.
3: I would agree, yeah. <laughs> And you're talking to the, you know, we're the new publishing division of the company that created Rick and Morty. And Rick and Morty, is, if you actually can watch it, that's hilarious, but also really gross, gory stuff. And that was actually something that we discussed early on of, like, we want this to have a certain look so that it doesn't actually have the gross out factor. It just has this element of, wow, ew. (laughs) You know, like, I want people to be kind of laughing, kind of cringing. I don't think any of it's intended to shock or offend or anything like that. You know, it's just part of life and health. Things get broken and guts fall out. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Trevor, since you mentioned uh, the establishment of Starburn Industries, could you explain a bit about that? It's a new publishing imprint. So tell me, it's origin, it's genesis, and uh, your part in it as editor.
3: Starburns has done uh, quite a few other things. But basically what happened is one of the heads of development at Starburns proper, Simon Ore, who mainly works in tv and mainly works in creating new projects that the animation side can develop i used to work at diamond i worked for uh, for diamond comics distributors as brand manager i was actually the brand manager of scout who published alan and mina's other books and, and a roundabout way how we met each other so while i was working at diamond i was listening to Town, uh dan harman's podcast through starburns audio and there's an episode where dino stamatopoulos who played starburns on community if you're familiar with that show came on Harmontown town and he's making all these jokes about a book that he put out graphic novel. And he's just being Dino, like, ah, please buy it. I have no idea how to sell this. I have no idea how to distribute this thing. Please buy my book. And I'm sitting there in like the hub of comics distribution. And I'm thinking I should be, you know, take initiative as a brand manager and just see what happens. You know, I'll, I'll say hi. I tried for a while to get in touch and I, I wound up just signing up for Twitter. I like, you know, I wasn't doing Twitter at the time just to get in touch with Dino and, it worked. He got in touch. We emailed back and forth, and he put me in touch with Simon. And long story short, Simon basically said he reached out to help Gino find a place to put his book. I was thinking maybe we placed it with Oni Press, who I was also uh, managing at the time or, or something like that. But Simon's like, no, we've got all these other things. We have all these other projects in the work. And that turned into a conversation of me helping them start up a print division off of the animation studio. And then fast forward a little bit more, and it basically just became this is all really complicated and confusing. You get this so much better than I do. I wish you could just come do it for me. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Like come work for Harmon's company, come work for the Rick and Morty guys and make comic books. And that sounds great. So I made that leap. And the first book that I acquired working as my official title of VP of acquisitions for Starburst Industries press was these guys. We just hit it off. The last part of that is Simon's goal. My goal The reason we have a print division off of an animation studio is to find things that we believe in, uh, like we believe in Alicia, to incubate intellectual property that can eventually be developed into games and television and ideally animated series that could be the next Rick and Morty.
0: It is possible then, Mina and AC, that this could be a TV show, an animated show at some point.
2: The style alone really... uh... I don't, I don't think the transition would be too weird. It uh, it feels like an animated... I don't think the transition is too uh, too abrupt, so I could totally see it as a TV show.
1: It upsets me that we've been talking this long without mentioning Kit, because his art style is really pivotal to how much it looks like a cartoon, I think.
2: Uh, Kit does all the art, um, except for colors are done by Geo, and uh, Geo but Micah Myers does the letters.
0: And how did you find Kit
2: and Geo? They were like a package deal. Like We found uh, Kit, Mina actually, Brought in, Kit, and it was an awesome. Fine, and he had uh he he had been working with Geo. I would say prior to it, Micah. I like I have yet to work on a comic project that doesn't feature Micah. I think me and him are a package deal at this point. Yeah, I see Micah's name out there a lot.
1: Yeah, Kid is someone whose work I've just admired for a while. So I reached out to him and asked him if he was interested in the concept. There are pitch pages, which you'll be able to see in the trade. You're
0: gonna have the first three issues in the trade coming out in October? That's right. And do you have additional short stories being added as well?
1: Yeah, that's right. The trades are kind of Trevor's mastermind. Trevor, do tell.
3: It's a little bit of an experiment. Again, kind of I, I don't I don't wanna to reveal too much, but for T V pitch related reasons, it was in our best interest to get the trade out as quickly as possible. So I suggested, and it kind of has evolved from there, like, what if we split the series in half and do a smaller trade that's going to be under $10, and then we'll pack the back end of the book with cool extra materials, sketch art, and extra stories. We have two extra stories in there that I absolutely will I'll let Alan and I mean to talk about. Um, but the idea was, let's try a middle ground between single issues at $4 and a full trade at now they're up to $15. You know, let us do something of in between and see what happens and alan and mina loved it and uh all the rest of the folks on the publishing side of starburns loved it and uh diamond was interested like haven't really seen this done before so let's see what happens and we had just done something similar with dan Harmon's book gregory graves which was initially just going to be released as a saddle stitched one shot you know just a single issue that was going to be a little bit larger than normal mainly just for distribution reasons that we we get a no longer reach if it's you know, paperback, I can do that in a Barnes and Noble and things like that. I was like, what if we just put this out as like a really, really tiny graphic novel? It's gone great. It's been really fun. And and it's been kind of a cool way to get to that next stage of a comic faster and get into book market faster and things like that. And uh, yeah, I think it's something that we're going to keep doing and, you know, improving upon. Uh, but as far as this book goes, um, it's issues one through three, plus some extra story materials and some fun uh, just concepts we came up with. Mina, how much of this should I actually say, or should I just say, hang on by the screen?
1: Well, we definitely have some cool pinups and the single stories, because I know some of those guys have been posting like work in progress stuff. So cat's out of the bag on those.
0: Now, how did you all meet up? Now, Mina, you said that you and uh, AC had pitched it to Trevor. So tell me about that first meeting when you pitched the book.
1: Well, we went at New York Comic-Con last year You were hanging out at the Scout booth.
3: Brendan Deneen, the owner of Scout, who I was the brand manager for a while. We had a similar work style, you know, we just hit it off. He had an extra pass, and I was still living in Maryland at the time, which is a short drive. And he basically was just like, hey, do you want to come up and hang out? We never get to hang out. So I did, and I helped at the booth a little bit, and I took the opportunity to, you know, sort of walk the floor for Starburn, see what I could find. funny enough, I walked the whole floor, and the best thing that I found was just right at my starting point just hanging out with these two
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we you know we had the whole show to attack you with our thoughts
3: i remember alan keeps saying you know if you gotta go dude it's okay if you gotta go walk around go ahead go ahead And i was like no i'm feeling something here you know like my like mighty sense of tingling <laughs> so i wound up spending most of the con just standing at the booth and like occasionally helping talk about scout books and the ones that i was particularly familiar with Oddly enough, we were Infernock and Elasticator and some of the other ones that these two had already worked on. So I kind of halfway, almost was in the way, but also was trying to help. And then just looked to these guys and say, hey, we've got a few really cool ideas. And it just wasn't the only thing pitched, but it was the one that I was like, this is where we start. This is how we start building that relationship and this this reputation as Alan and Mina being part of Starburns. And uh, and obviously Starburns being a new company.
0: How many pitches do you get? A week? Like, how many cross your desk or your email?
3: I get a lot by email. Starburn site has an open contact page where things come in that way. We're still playing pretty conservative being a new company, less just cold submissions, you know, just people saying, hey, you don't know me, but. And they're much more like, I know a guy who knows a guy. Okay, here's an example. The other writer on Hortman's book, Gregory Graves, is Eric Esquivel, who is now writing Border Town for Vertigo. He pitched us a horror anthology, classic EC, Tales from the Crypt, but through the lens of Mexican folklore, because he's Latin American. And I just loved this idea, and you know we took it and ran with it. And that wasn't even really on our blade of titles. That was just something that came in just at the right time to get it in just before Halloween season and get it in previews at the right time and we just sort of very quickly said yes. And there've been a number of things that have happened in a similar way. I've got a good feeling about this. And we've already worked with you or it's somebody who's worked in one capacity and now they're working in a different capacity. The number of ones that we're really paying attention to is actually it's a pretty small number, but we're getting a dozen 20 a week, something like that. So not unmanageable. <laughs> and
0: what would you suggest someone do if they wanted to make a pitch? How should they present it?
3: The way the market is for publishers at our level, it's a lot easier to do graphic novels in trade than single issues. The single issue thing is pretty tough to sell for bigger companies. So I would say that if you really think you have something that Fifth Starburn, pitch it as a complete story, even if it's a small one. Like I said, you know, we we did a $7 book that was 64 pages with Harmon, and and that wasn't like special treatment for Harmon. I think for the right book, we would do something like that again.
0: And so the trade of the first three issues of Halicious is coming out in October before Halloween – and how can folks get that? Should they just go to the local comic shop? Can they get it directly through Starbird?
3: You can get it directly through Starburns. You can get it at your local comic shop. It's going to be available, if not already. No, it is available already through Barnes & Noble. It's
1: on the Target website, on website, which makes me laugh.
3: I did not know that. <laughs> <I was> just-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Live on air. You heard it here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you Google Delicious. You find so many different online retailers that have the trade which are local shops as well. A lot of people forget that they always think you have to go to the shop, pre-order with the giant code. But sometimes you can just order from your local shop from their website. And they'll appreciate
3: it. Yes, it's out there. It just finished the pre-order phase. And if you are somebody who prefers ordering online, what Alan just said totally works. Um, it's also available on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. I'm sure there's other things apparently like the Target website that I don't know about. (laughs) (laughs) Another reason to go to Target. (laughs) Yay! Go buy a shower curtain and leave with Policia. What could be better? (laughs) It'll also be available on Comicology.
0: Well, I have some fun questions to ask all my guests, and Mina and Alan have been through this, and if folks haven't heard them on episode 87, that was back in December of 2017, ask my fun questions. I have some new ones too, but first, Trevor, for you, I'm going to ask some of those questions, and Mina and Alan, you can enjoy. So Trevor, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not working? When you have a chance, I know you're busy, but when you have a chance, your preferred method of resting and relaxing?
3: I live in Portland, uh, so there's always a lot of fun secondhand movies. I spend a lot of time going and just checking out an original 35 millimeter print showing of some 80s artifacts that I've loved all my life. Like last month, I got to see Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on the big screen for the first time in my life. I probably do four or five of those a month uh if not that just playing playstation 4 and being a geek like the rest of you <laughs> just playing the new spider-man game right now and i can't put it down <laughs> oh, well,
0: i'm surprised my son hasn't asked me about that yet
3: <laughs> yeah, i could do a podcast on how much i love this game so, so
0: <laughs> well tell me what's so cool about it now that you've test drove it what, what's so cool
3: gosh it's so many things the way it looks for one thing it's Probably the best motion capture I've seen in a video game so far. You know, like usually CG characters have the dead eyes, you know, no matter how hard they try to put lights that just don't look alive. For some reason, these look way more alive even than some of the movies that I've seen. They've taken some liberties with who the characters are and where they come from, but it's all in ways that I really, really love. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who plays it, but it's just been really fascinating watching The way they've woven these familiar characters into a really complicated story of people know Peter and Peter knows them. And it's, you know, you're watching the downfall and the rise of characters that we've been spending time with for some of us for our entire lives. So it feels fresh. It doesn't feel like, I don't know, most of the Spider-Man games that have come out, they've been in response to a movie. So it's really just I'm playing this movie. That's fine. But this is the first one that felt like an original story for me anyway. Love the way it looks. I love the way it plays. When some games, um, if you don't press things at just the right time and just the right way, you die. This one, it's just, you can kind of freak out and react. Then you watch Spidey do something amazing on the screen. You get kind of this adrenaline boost of like, wow, I just did that. Wow. It looks good. It plays well. The story's awesome. And there's just so much open world stuff, which is uh, a big part of gaming now. Being able to just kind of explore and do whatever you want.
0: Now, my next question, thinking back to a birthday, could be any birthday. Why does it stand out in your memory? What was special about that birthday?
3: Wow. I was just talking to my girlfriend about how I'm the worst about this because I don't remember most of my birthdays because I'm a socially <laughs> anxious person who blocks out anytime I'm in the limelight. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think one of my favorite ones, because it was bittersweet, when I turned 13, I grew up in California, and then for family reasons that are its too long of a story to go into, we moved to Texas. And I was saying goodbye to all of my friends. And so my 13th birthday was both a celebration of, hey, you've been alive another year, and also kind of a goodbye to these guys that I went to elementary middle school with. And it it just got ridiculous. All of the things, food fight and water pistol fight and water balloons and running around a park and getting gross, mad at us because we were being too rowdy. and just I couldn't tell you what I got us presents that year, but that party was just ridiculous and so much fun.
0: Well, at that age, thinking back to your bedroom, what posters or pictures did you have on the wall?
3: These are really fun questions. I, I dig this. I like this. Um, I... I think up until that point they didn't go back up when I moved to Texas. So in some ways it was like the end of my childhood almost. <laughs> uh, but I had a Death of Superman poster that my karate instructor who lived down the road gave me, and I, this thing was like, uh, it, it was like a shrine or something. I, I was so into Superman as a younger kid, and it was the poster with the Justice League as the pallbearers, and then all of the DC characters on that with like a mob behind them, and I just, I would just look at this thing and think. It's amazing how many of these characters I know. It's amazing that this is all like fit in my tiny brain. And then there'd be a guy where I'm like, I, I don't know who that is. I have to find out. <laughs> and this was pre-Google, you know? So I would just go to the comic shop in town and say, hey, there's this guy who looks like dot, dot, dot. And he'd be like, oh yeah, that's Kilowog from Green Lantern Corps. You don't know who that is? And I'm like, show me, tell me. So that was really fun. It was mainly Marvel and DC posters, but that was my favorite one by far.
0: That's cool. This is hypothetical. If you were stuck on a deserted island, You can only have one book. Now, I'm saying a book that you're going to read for fun. It doesn't have to be practical like a survival guide or something. We'll just assume that at some point you'll get off the island. You'll be able to survive. We just don't know how long you're going to be there. What is the one book that you would want to have with you? And that can be a book, a graphic novel, a comic book. You could say "delicious." Whatever the book would be.
3: I'm so mean when these kinds of questions come up because my natural impulse is to find a way to cheat and find <laughs> loopholes. My first thought was the Neverending Story, the actual book in the movies, Neverending, <laughs> 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 because it's always changing. That's a cheat answer. That's a cop out. But that was like immediately where my brain went. Real answer though, it would probably be, huh? <sighs> The book that I've read the most and yet at the same time have not read in a really, really long time, but it's something that I always discover something new when I reread it. Um, And this is so cliche. If you know the kind of guy I am, is probably the catcher in the Rye*. There's something about that voice that inspires me to want to write. And so I think I could read a chapter or two of that and then spend three weeks just scrolling on, I don't know what you write on a deserted island, but I think I would, sustain myself creatively if I had that thing as sort of a touchstone so that's my real answer but man if I could have a never-ending story that would I would totally take it back
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you points for creativity on that one <laughs> now this next question was one that Alan brought up actually he made the statement and it became a question I ask people now because they always like this one.
2: Awesome. Oh yes I'm glad you kept it I was gonna ask but I was like no he wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> no i kept
0: it i use it almost every time so another hypothetical a toy company is going to make an action figure of you what would be your accessory or accessories that come along with the figure
3: <laughs> i love this wow the most alan question i'm getting into nitty-gritty again is it just one singular item or
0: no it can be a couple i mean no, it can be
3: accessories it can be a couple yeah okay um in addition to what i do at starburns i spend a lot of time just Doing freelance art so i always have my tablet that i draw on that's like number one anybody who knows me if i'm not out walking around if i'm sitting still i usually have that thing out that's kind of a given also i have like a shoulder satchel like leather bag thing that i've had for a long long time and i've had some former variant of that since high school Mm -hmm. and there's a reason for it and if i have time i'll go into it real fast in texas i was in a very conservative area of texas they didn't want to like enforce a dress code or or rather a um, a school uniform. So they just had a really strict dress code. And as I mentioned a second ago, my natural instinct is to find ways to punch holes and find loopholes and just generally be a jerk about things. Uh, (laughs) So I had this like minor war with my principal and it was always like, this is how you have to dress. And so I would go right up to the edge of defying that. But if you looked at the handbook, I was within the law. And I did this for years, and because of me, they had to put out a new version of the handbook every single year. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> this is a school that would do like a new student handbook maybe every five years, but the four years I was there, they're like, all right, here's version 2.0 or whatever. Thanks, kid. Um, and I'm very proud of that. The shoulder bag became part of that. They uh, it was, This was not long after the Columbine stuff, and they got really concerned, and they are like, all students have to have clear bags or mesh bags. You know, we have to be, able to be able to see in. And I was like, this is just ridiculous. This is a small school. What are we doing? And I just felt very, I don't know, it just felt very fascist to me as like a 14-year-old kid.
1: So I read the handbook
3: and found a loophole. And the loophole was women's purses didn't have to be see-through because girls carry things that no one has a right to infringe upon. So I was like, so it says right there. If it looks a certain way, if it's a you know shoulder strap, blah, blah, blah. If it's basically is a purse, we can't touch it. So I got myself a man purse and put all my books and my camera and junk like that in it. And when my, when my principal confronted me, I was like, it's, look it up. This is a purse. Deal with it. And basically, if I was willing in like conservative East Texas to be like, yeah, I got a purse. What are you going to do? That was the only sacrifice I had to make. And then I didn't have to wear the dorky clear backpack and I didn't have to follow the rules and blah, blah, blah. Long story short... Suddenly that became what all the guys were doing and I wasn't even getting made fun of the way I was like braced for. People just started getting like satchels and you know, like those types of bags that are actually kind of in now. But I've been doing that since two thousand and one and so yeah, that would have to be my accessory.
0: Wow, what a trendsetter you are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. That is so good. Yeah. I've done the same thing, not break the rules, but I've done the same thing with a backpack. Ever since college, I've always used a backpack. Even for work, it's just easy for me to carry things in a backpack. It's evenly distributed. So it's not... And then as a parent, well, when you have to lug around a kid or hold their hand, you don't want to have a side bag on you and falling off your arms. The backpack, hands-free, man.
3: (laughs) It's the perfect accessory.
0: (laughs) Now... Your beverage of choice when you're resting and relaxing, what do you like to have to drink?
3: My beverage of choice, uh, depending on time of day, whiskey or coffee, sometimes whiskey and coffee. Okay. Yeah, that's an easy one. I drink a lot of coffee. I, I just killed, like, I don't know how many ounces of iced coffee that I made last night. So, yeah, that's my other accessory, actually, because there's so much... It's uh, <laughs> that a that thermos coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now, I don't think I have asked... Mina and Alan this question, because I added this one later last year. So I'll ask it of all of you. And this one I credit to the missus. I said, you know, what questions did I ask people? Give me a question. And she gave me a question like, eh, I'm not going to ask that question. And then, well, actually, what people go, huh, all right. It's like, okay. So what is the one question that someone has not asked you yet in an interview, something you want people to know about you that they don't know. And that's key. You want people to know, but it just never comes up. Trevor, for you, what's that one thing people don't know that you'd want to share, that one question that's never been
3: raised? Man, I almost want to, like, take a step back and let the other two go because I'm pretty good about talking about whatever I want to talk about, even if it doesn't come up. Um, Honestly, though, it's (laughs) probably It's probably my art site. You know, I'm known as a publisher and an editor, but I'm also a freelance artist. I've done some art. Like, my first official comic art credit was on Phantasmagoria that I I mentioned before. I've kind of stayed out of the limelight as much as possible on that, even though I'm really proud of my work on the book, because sort of the mandate of that book was we want to put Latin creators front and center. I'm the only non-Latin person on that book. Writers, the artists, the letterers, even the person that designed the actual like trade dress of the thing. They're all from Latin America or even South America, Mexico, things like that. So I stay back and hopefully someone will notice and ask like, hey, you did the cover on this, didn't you? And then I I can say, yes, I did. And I'm very proud of it. The way that that happened was Eric came to me. I said, from the time that I heard about the idea to the time we had to get cover art into previews was two days, not even two days, because it was like afternoon when I heard about it. And I I basically just said, Eric, look, I get the idea, I love this, but there's no way we can contract with somebody and get this done in the amount of time, so I'm just going to do it myself. I think he maybe was a little skeptical, but at the same time, it was like, if we have to change it later, we can. We just needed something, you know, some kind of iconography in the book. And when he saw what I did... Came back and said almost surprised like wow i love this and then asked that i do um what we're calling the interstitial pages which is we have our version of the crypt keeper who introduces the various stories and based on that initial design that i did and like i said less than two days he's just basically said anytime this character gets drawn we want you to be the one drawing it and i of course enthusiastically said yes but i've been like i said I, i've been avoiding shouting that from the rooftops because there is a side of it of like but. You're just like a regular white dude. What are you doing here? <laughs> if I could say that.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks for sharing that. Cool. Vina, how about you? Anything that uh, someone has not asked you yet that, that you wish they would?
1: I love the Marx Brothers. Okay. Good for yeah, you. I know what I'm about. This.
0: So what is your favorite Marx Brothers movie?
1: There you go. That's the dream question. Um, so I like Duck Soup a lot. That one has the mirror scene. That's so classic. So I think that's like a really good one. I also like... Just as an isolated scene, Uh, if you think about that March Brothers scene where they're all piling into the same room in the cabin on the boat, this Mm -hmm. is really appealing to one member of your audience. (laughs) 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 Two of us are connecting. Okay. (laughs) If you're out there, hit hit me up on Twitter. We're best friends.
0: I think now you're talking about the Paramount films they made, the early ones that they made.
1: I'm up for anything. Okay. I actually just went to see a Groucho impersonator pretty amazing oh that's nice who was the impersonator well there's only one he's uh, frank ferrente he's really amazing he, he improps with the audience I and mean, maybe there's more i don't know but he's a really big one
3: i have a Marks brothers question Vina. do you know what movie it is where groucho sings the whatever it is i'm against it song he looks academic he looks scholarly i think he even has like the square flat like rad cap kind of thing on and he's singing these words whatever it is i'm against it that's horse <laughs> feathers that's horse feathers. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty um, sure that's
1: horse feathers. That's,
3: like that's like my favorite. That because that one's pre code. Pre oh, oh, nice. I actually heard about that. Okay, cool. Thank you. That was that's actually one of those things that you, I think about and then I never take the time to look it up. So you were Google for me for a second. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, those old movies are great, especially the pre code ones. They're not that long. They're like an hour, maybe, and mm-hmm. uh,
1: it's still a. Well, it depends on if they play the harp or not. Well, yeah.
0: yeah that's true I (laughs) love those and the kids even love those whether they know anything about the Marx Brothers or not they're shenanigans and antics that people transfix so
1: (laughs) oh yeah I used to watch with my dad so I definitely I'm glad you're watching with your kids
0: yeah uh, it's a lot of fun they still hold up
1: oh I definitely recommend taking your kids to see Frank he pulls them up on stage Ah, okay, it's really fun
0: Alan you've had time to think about this What's the one question that you haven't been asked yet you want people to ask you?
2: So I've been thinking about the wrong thing this entire time. I thought it was, what do you want people to know about you that hasn't quite been discussed? Okay. I don't have a specific question, but I had to pick one thing like that I want to leave behind uh, in all my writing. So I want to be okay. known for writing moms. I know it sounds weird, but it, they're my favorite characters to write. And if there's any moms listening, please message me on Twitter or wherever you can find me. And make sure, let me know I'm doing a job <laughs> or bad job. But it's something I want to do my career. Like, I think some people have looked at my recent work and think that I want to be known for, like... Alasty was, like, you know, he had a little... He had badass qualities or whatever. But, like, no, his mom was the hero of the story. And that yeah. was, like, my goal. But I don't think it landed as well, so... That's something I want to be known about me. That I think moms are the coolest. And yeah. I like that.
0: <laughs> Okay. That's, I didn't expect that, but all right then. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like
1: Trevor did this properly, and we were like <laughs> really out there with our weird stuff.
3: I like Groucho, and I like moms. <laughs> <laughs> i'm <laughs> uh, gonna corner the mom market <laughs> so, Stan is a great character Cherry's mom, sin is a great character knowing that about alan and then reading or rereading it, it actually might enhance the experience because there's a lot of depth there that i actually look forward to kind of exploring more than we've had opportunity to in issues one through three but even still like she's a great looking character she's kind of in charge even though she's in name, she's not the devil, but she really is kind of in charge and the boss of everything. and She's just powerful and cool, so I can see where Alice is coming from.
0: Way to bring it full circle.
3: You
1: were a brand yeah, manager. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we really need an editor. <laughs> <laughs> you just
3: got like, you know, to stay, stay on topic as much as possible.
0: <laughs> well, that's halicious. It's uh. coming out in trade soon, in October. It's found in fine stores everywhere, even online. Even a target and issue for following <laughs> that. Trevor, Mina, AC, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Thank, thank you. you. Pleasure. Halloween is getting closer. It's just around the corner. So next week, my guest, Dave Ebersole. He's local to Creator Talks. He's up in the Philadelphia area. And he is a playwright and a director and also a comic book writer. And he has written the series Dash, being published through Northwest Press, where comics are for everyone. Dash is a crime noir story set in 1940 LA featuring private detective Dash Malone. Dash has been outed as gay and has to struggle with that, making a living as a detective, but also lost his lover, Plink. He was murdered, and Dash is trying to crack the case of the mysterious Zita Makara and find out what her connection is to Plink's murder. And this crime noir horror comic contains mummies. Issues one through four have already came out and it's been a hiatus of about three years. So now issue five is coming out with extra pages with a recap of the story to get you up to speed if you did not get issues one through four and there's also been a change up on the art team. So Dave and I talk about his work as a playwright, going back to school, writing the comic book Dash, finally getting it back on track with a new art team. We talk about what exactly is crime noir. We talk about our favorite crime noir films. We talk about mummies. We talk about our favorite mummy films. And, of course, the fun questions I ask all my guests. So I just recorded this last evening as I'm recording this. And we had a great conversation that lasted over an hour. Uh, Time went by very quickly. So I'll be editing that this week and have that ready for you next week, the week before Halloween. I already have other interviews recorded but this one I'm going to push to next week because Dave will be appearing at the comic book shop in Wilmington, Delaware on Marsh Road and I want to have this podcast out before he makes his appearance. The comic book shop also has a big Halloween sale that weekend so I for sure will be there. I love diving through their back issue bins and also seeing what they have in the 50 cent boxes. So that will be on the 27th and 28th of October, and Dave will be there on the 27th. So listen for the episode next week. You'll learn more about Dave, the comic book Dash, and how you can get a copy of the book and what the future plans are for the series. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube if you prefer to listen to your podcasts that way. It's also available on Amazon Echo and Dot devices for streaming. Just say, Alexa, play podcast, creator talks however you choose to listen to your podcasts, there's a platform for you. You don't have to use iTunes. If you do, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Every review helps. It helps the show stand out because there are so many podcasts and there are so many wonderful podcasts. So your review will help this one stand out so people can find these interviews with fantastic writers and artists. You will learn about their latest project, what they're working on, but you're also gonna learn about them as a creator, as a person, who are they? What makes them tick? What's special and unique about them? I hope those are things you find on this show that you won't find anywhere else. And best of all, it's in the creator's own words. So please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode which comes out every Thursday. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. I am also on Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. And on there, I post for my personal collection Saturday Silver Age and Sunday. Bronze Age Comics. Now, for this month, the month of October, since it's Halloween month, I am posting Silver Age books from the Marvel Atlas era, early 60s, Tales of Suspense. So you will see a lot of Lee and Kirby creations of monsters from the 60s. And I think nearly all of it is pre-Fantastic Four number one, before the dawn of the Marvel Age of Comics. I also have a website, creatortalks.com, and you can reach me there through my email, contact at creatortalks.com. Thank you for joining me this week. I know you have a lot of podcasts about comics to choose from, and I know you have a lot of sources for your entertainment. And thank you for spending some time with me today. I'll be back each week with a new interview. For Creator Talks, this has been your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.